actually I'm digging my mustache. I might keep this around for a little bit. Yeah, it looks good. Thanks. So have you ever pulled up to a barber and just taken your shirt off and been like, all right, line me up. Welcome to Footy Fellows. No, but I, I would be really curious to see how they because but genuinely, like, what would they use different blades on this versus? Because I know you know it's different blades on here versus like you know the head, uh, right? And so if, with the chest, is there like a like a, a certain stuff, or do they just use the same? You have much more knowledge, my good sir. I never they never touch my facial hair because I rarely go in there with any. Mm-hmm. You ever you ever had uh in England? In London they did at Joe's barbershop. Shout out to Joe. If you're listening, J O, not J O E, like some American lame ass barbershop. We're talking <laughs> we're talking shape you up, cut you right, send you out the door and slap you on the backside, Joe. Yeah. J O. Yeah. Joe's barbers, they shape my beard. I don't think I've gotten it anywhere else, nor would I have wanted to, because I don't trust. I don't trust anyone else to. Very few haircuts have I gotten. Do I trust the person cutting my hair with one of those blades? Totally. And shaving cream. Yeah. But but does that excite you though? The prospect of like a really well clean shaven, professionally done with a blade, hot towel, just get all of that done. Does that tickle your fancy? Could be cool. Yeah. I felt tickled there when you described it. I, yeah, I try. I think that's a good like wedding day kind of thing. Mm. If you're because because if you're shaved because one if you want to go clean shaven for the wedding or not stuff like that, that's that's the decision. But if you're going clean shaven, then it's like, well, do you do it by yourself? Which when you do it, you do it great. Like I don't think you would need any. Like you don't have a ton of razor burn. I feel like there's there's other situations. Like for myself, I did it myself. I know I razor burn on the neck. I would just not do a good job. So I would want to do it professional. I would want to go like, all right, spa day, fucking. Big day. Let's do this. Get some beefy man with some really delicate fingers to take care of these cheeks. Wearing a butcher apron, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> always. Yeah, there's a lot of dead pigs on the side of your ch- your chair that he's doing you up in. <laughs> oh no, it's just you know butcher. It's clean. It's a it's a oddly very clean butcher uh, apron. That's an interesting question. What you bring up here, and we'll have to throw it to the the one man who's had this experience day of wedding day. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable getting any sort of haircut the day of. That would make me too nervous. Something goes wrong, that's it. It's four hours later. What was your experience, Ice? Yeah, I, I agree. I tend to that if um, – I don't like to save things for the last second minute um, on big events. I, I'm one of those people also that gets – like can't even sleep the night before I go to the airport. Like I, I'm flying. It's like, oh, God, if I miss my flight, I'm so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> And so if I had to deal with uh, getting having an appointment day before, though, uh, that's fair game for me. Day of might be a little too risque. I just want to, you know, I think it's just relaxing before on a wedding day to just hang with some close family or friends and just like, all right, breathe, deep breaths. <laughs> and uh, well, yeah. well, that that's my question about the just the clean shaven aspect. Did you shave day of? I I usually do day before because I do get razor burn. Um, and usually overnight they goes away. So it just takes about nine hours to settle itself out. Smart. So if you're up the night before a flight, when you were taking the SAT, when you were getting married, like some more serious things in life, were you up the whole week before? The whole week before? No, I'm telling you, just the, that 24-hour window of, okay, it's coming. That's when I get antsy. That's when <laughs> the back of my mind is tickled and I can't sleep at all. Feel that. I've definitely hit a couple of days and I can't think it's it's a bummer. I can't really think of what they were in particular, but I know this past year or so, I've had a couple of days and these are good problems to have, but I've genuinely been up and it's been tough for me to go to bed because I'm excited for that next day. And it's and I hear where you're coming from, I see the 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 um, anticipation, the anxiety of like a stressful thing is upcoming. But I've had the in, I've had fortunate circumstances. Again, I can't think of a championship soccer game for boots. That was an exciting thing coming up, and it just it was tough to go to bed that night. And it was and then it got to that frustrating point where I was like, all right, I know I probably will be up for another two hours. It's gonna like it's gonna 
spill into 2 a.m., 3 a.m., I need to hit the I need to hit the melatonin. I need to get knocked out, yeah. medically knock out, or else I'm gonna be knocked out tomorrow. The TKO. There you yeah, go. Yeah, Max asked me to TKO and listen melatonin. <laughs> Hey, you know, you guys just brushed over championship soccer here. We can't uh, let that fly on the pod episode. So how about you just paint a beautiful picture of how the championship match went for our listeners, uh, play-by-play, whatever you guys want. Just just paint this glorifying day for us. Happy to. Unfortunately, Eli was out of town uh, for circumstances that he will describe in, in, in a moment. Um, I will, I will be brief because I could take the entire pod (laughs) walking us through minute by minute, uh, what happened on that glorious, glorious Saturday, um, a few, a few Saturdays ago, uh, the boot and boots team that we support, um, check out the, check out our channels and you'll see the stuff there, especially YouTube. We, uh, we had made to the final, not uh, only support clarifying, not only support play on our active players on correct, correct support. Physically, mentally, emotionally, financially. Yes. And um, and uh, and so we had just we made it to the final of our league, our men's league that we've been we, we've been in, um, and uh, we were playing a team that we played twice during the regular season prior. The first time we played them was the first game of the season. We lost two nothing. It was an iffy game. I think it could have gone either way. They just happened to the, the dice happened to, to roll their way. Uh, we played them at the end of the regular season in a game that really didn't mean much for them. They were the first seed. We were the we were battling for like a third or second seed at the time. Uh, and we hammered them seven to two or something like that. And then, uh, and then, and then we won the semifinal. We went off to, uh, which was a dramatic PK shootout, which shouldn't have gone there, but we, we still went there. Uh, and then we made it to the final. In the final, it was a soggy day. It was rainy. It was the, the ultimate equalizer. Uh, and we were, we were a little worried about that, but, but here was the big difference. Uh, we were missing. We were missing Eli. We were missing uh, another guy or two that were key, key players due to travel summer implications, which uh, meant that we compensated and so we we got extra bodies and we had a lot of bodies, a lot of subs, uh, which for men's league is sometimes a little superfluous, but it was good for us for that moment because the other team we played called Extra FC, they uh, were also suffering from similar um, symptoms of summer fun. And we're uh, also missing a couple key players and then didn't have the subs. So uh, we poured it on them. We, we kind of just dominated possession, I would say, after the first 10 minutes or so. Uh, and they were sitting back and just they couldn't get out of their half. We wore them down. And by the end of the it got chippy. There's a lot of stuff we can get into. But point is, we won 2 nothing. It was very satisfying. Uh, we took some photos. Uh, one of the guys brought a Yeti full of Coors Light with him. So right after the game, we all cracked those open and just drank on the sidelines before the ref said, you actually have to leave. The, you have to, you can't, you have to leave with all of it. That's not okay. So that was also fun. And we went back to, to Corcoran's, our sponsor at the time, drank. Uh, and, you know, the party went on. There was a tour bus. There was a lot of uh, Chicago shutdown. Michigan Avenue, the bridges. I thought they lifted the bridges up while you guys walked across. Right. Yep. That's exactly it. Fell in. That was it. (laughs) Uh, And then I think our cup is somewhere in Europe now because one of our players taking a tour. So uh, hopefully it'll be it'll be our turn. Love it. You know, there's really nothing like those blue mountains after a men's league game. Seriously, something different about those. They hit. And you can just have. You can have a couple and feel great. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's men's league Gatorade. Let's just be real. Yep. To put the title in context as well, this was the second and a half championship boots as one, because one of them was won during a season shortened by the pandemic. That is the half title, obviously. But in Boots' storied five, six-year history, something like that, this is only the second and a half, this is only the second and a half title won which is, is funny to say, um, but that's, there's a lot of seasons. It's not one season a year. We're playing two, three seasons, indoor, outdoor, sometimes eights, sometimes 11s, usually 11s, full-sided. So, you know, two and a half out of however many seasons in that in that time span, 15 seasons or so, special. It, it doesn't come around every year. So this is definitely one that we're celebrating. And what that means for the New Jersey, 
which again, you could check out the boot and boots Twitter account. A lot of good, a lot of good content there. A lot of fun stuff posted by Adam, the, the team owner. You'll see the new kit and it is spicy, meaning one new sponsor don't won't reveal who and one full new star on the, on the crest. Very exciting stuff. I love it. Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Europe or what are you, what are you feeling? Yeah, I went. That was, that was the other thing that that went on, and that's why I wasn't at the that the championship game. Unfortunately, I was doing my own mini tour because I was so confident that we'd win of Italy and Greece with my girlfriend and some other friends, and it was great. It's a great time. I think you you both saw. I put together a little montage montage of just videos and and moments and memories. So it was a great trip. The video was awesome. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's the first time I've traveled internationally. Obviously, lucky, nice to go on the trip, but it's the first time I've traveled internationally in like five years since I was abroad in college. Do you uh, do you see yourself living in Greece or Italy? No. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm from Chicago, baby. Wow. He's not. He's not a Connecticut boy no more. No, I can't see myself living in Italy or Greece. If, if you had to, though, and you had to choose either, which would you prefer? Probably Italy. Icy, can you confirm Italy is worth living? Confirmed. Yeah, it's awesome. There's just so much to the country, you know? Different regions, north versus south. And I don't know if you uh, experienced... Were you in the north or the south, Eli? More north. North. It's funny how the two actually... The, the, the people native to the north side versus the south side, they... Uh, they're chirps. They're Italian chirps that go between the North and the South folk. The Northern folk think the Southerners are super lazy. Oh, it's funny banter. When we had those bike tour guides who are native to cities up, up in Northern Italy, I uh, get them talking about Southern Italians. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Good times. All right. Enough of that. Um, so uh, let me tell you boys about a little something I've been doing. I've been reading a book that I got from my mother-in-law. All about Klopp. It's the Klopp. Uh, I don't know if it's like one of his. I don't know. It's his book by a guy in from Liverpool, obviously, who is an author and is writing about like the greatest, <laughs> the greatest time to be a Liverpool fan in his, you know, in his eyes right here after Bill Bill Shankly's reign back in the '60s. So I'm learning a lot about actually the club. Jones, you'll appreciate that. You know, got to build my fandom. <laughs> uh, got to make it. Got to solidify it. But. Uh, yeah, it's very cool. And you learn a lot about Klopp. I had no idea. Okay, so he played League Two German soccer for like 11 years. Um, he was a def- he was a midfielder at first, then moved back to defense. And he wasn't very like good. I mean, he was good enough for League Two, but it was very clear he wasn't very He played 325 games over his career, the most, at least at the writing of this book. For that club, it's just crazy. I had no idea he was, uh, you know, at this at that level. Uh, but basically, uh, long story short, I'll summarize it quick. He got asked to coach this team in that division who was fighting relegation. They were they had a few matches left, and he was he had pretty decent composure. Um, and the directors, whatever, liked him, and he knew some stuff. They're like, okay, here, be this interim coach and protect them from relegation. And they were like, they basically assumed he wasn't going to be able to do it because the team was garbage. And he miraculously uh, pulled it out. They they ended up staying. They made him head coach. Um, I think this was Mines, M-A-I-N-Z. I think this was the team. And he worked his butt off for like four seasons. And they came like super close the first two or three seasons to getting relegated to Bundesliga. Um and just heartbreaking losses, like last game type things. And then he finally made it. He was on top of the world. Um, and then he went to Dortmund. Obviously, there was hype around him. Loved Dortmund. Um, he had a great time there. Really, I, that team was stacked. I mean, reading this book and hearing the players who were on that team, incredible. I mean, he had he was smart enough to see the potential in Gundogan and like brought him in as this like 20. 21, 22-year-old midfielder. Good nuance, fantastic. He had Lewandowski on his team. Basically, uh, yeah, the whole and the whole feud with Bayern plucking all their players. 
Yeah, it's a great it's a great story. Uh, he's got a cool background, and then he came in October 2015 to Liverpool. That was way earlier than I thought. I didn't realize he'd been there so, for that long. So I'm only on chapter six or whatever, but it's uh, it's a very good book. I I might send it over to Chicago if you guys are interested in reading about a little little clop action. That sounds really interesting. And yes, totally like a great book. I I love that. I love to hear it. And I feel like you are. It's beautiful to watch on this pod. As we're as we're starting to deep dive deeper into the great sport that that we that we love and hold dear, that we're now we're now diving into diving into the literature of it and the, and the and the depth that you can find, and so I'm 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 honored to hear that you are joining uh, the 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 rivalry. You are you are deepening our rivalry now, and and now we're gonna hate each other even more. It's gonna be beautiful. That's all. <laughs> it's awesome gonna be lovely. <laughs> Ice is gonna be whipping out references from yeah seventy Klopp's playing days. Yeah. Oh, that game reminded me of 92, <laughs> Bundesliga 2, Klopp, you know, tough season after he had a lot of injuries and when he was so resilient. <laughs> it, I mean, it's crazy. These authors, I mean, they remember the games they went to. Like the first game this guy went to in like 1967 at Anfield. You know, he just remembers it like it's yesterday. It's, it's very cool. It's very cool. That's special. Let me let me ask you about both this. You describing Klopp's rise and more so his his trials and tribulations as a player. It sounds like he wasn't a, a star, right? He wasn't one of the best players in the world. He was in a lower division, 11 seasons with the same team. Does that feel accurate? But yeah, correct. Do you think there's something to, I don't know if trope is the right word, but do you think there's something to the the story of the best managers being solid but not, great players and and other connecting pieces to that, like other things that may mean about how they had to compensate for their technical ability, for their athletic ability, just how good they were on the pitch to actually make it to that level. Do you think there's something to the best managers in the world in soccer or in other sports actually being solid players, but not great ones. And the great players are not as good of managers. I, I feel like, um, the, the 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 Tim Spencer answer for me like I'm I'm thinking how would he respond he'd he'd throw back like it's it's a neither you know it's a it's a you're asking the wrong question you know what you need to ask is who are you and what do you probably know so and that's why I hate Tim yeah. but yeah continue <laughs> because the genuine answer is I don't I genuinely don't think it matters how good it it does like there's a there seems to be a threshold with top tier soccer wherein teams with the biggest egos, the best players, they'll only respect coaches who have some crazy resume. Zinedine Zidane, for example, I don't believe is some elite tactician, but rather a dude who looks like the stud that he was. And when he, that polished figure that when he joined that Real Madrid side and helped steer them towards their championships, I think he just was good with people. And you have coaches who, like Klopp who, you know, does have some tactic to him, didn't, wasn't the most successful as a player, but similarly knows how to get the best out of his teammates, his players. I think it doesn't matter what your capability, your level is. It, it's who are you in the locker room? Were you the guy who was going to help lead this team regardless of your coach? Or were you, or were you just a guy who rode his his talents and that got him far? And so you th- that that guy thinks he's good, like Thierry Henry. He's tried to do coaching here and there, but clearly something's not really clicking for him. It's not really working. He seems to have a ton of talent. He he objectively had a ton of talent, but is he really actually that good of a a man manager? Is he that good of a tactician? You kind of have to have a blend of either of those. So I don't think it necessarily. So, you know, is it more encouraging for a guy like Klopp to have that background story? And then you're like, oh, he's more motivated, intrinsically motivated than some other coaches. Perhaps I I, I feel like there's only, there's a smaller handful of players, people who were elite, elite top of the tier coaches who can then go on to do it. So by default, it's, you know, everyone else has had to work their way. Like Klopp has really had to work the way, not ride their own, um, their own name to the top. Like Pirlo, should he be a top? Like, no, that dude just got the job because he was, because of his name for the most part. But I'm curious, Icy, do you agree, disagree with that? Yeah, I think I, I do generally uh, agree. Yeah, um, no, good points. I would add that, you know, the the talent 
of a player who wants to become manager is, is a pillar to who they're going to be, um, you know, is one pillar of who they're going to be as a, as a manager. But, you know, they talk about Klopp's upbringing. Dad was sort of a drill sergeant type guy. Mom was much more laid back and kind of like funny, charismatic. And he has these traits of, he's very charismatic. Like they talk, this guy talks a lot about how he doesn't just care, you know, like focus on the players. He focuses on the entire staff at Anfield and he focuses on the fans. Like he's a huge believer in the supporters are what make a club, which is huge. And he just like brings this energy as you were talking about Jones of kind of charisma. And he has this, he jokes, he makes jokes about himself. Like he's self-deprecating at times. He, he breaks down these barriers and he tries to just make it all very friendly, which is fantastic. Now I should also add, he, when he first coached that, that Mines team back in the day, he took a player who, he, who played with him, uh, who he liked a lot, and who was very much uh, very intelligent tactically and stuff with soccer, who's still, I think, his assistant coach today on Liverpool. And they worked together really well. But that guy would not be a good top manager because his ener- his, the way he conducts himself is much more lethargic and like very tactically minded. So Klopp makes himself he's a great manager because he has this uh, good energy and leadership about him but he does you know take I'm sure a lot of tactical advice and stuff from his sidekick uh, from his assistant coach so um that's a lot of words but more or less he I think that yeah the player aspect of being good is just a part of it it's like how were you raised family you know uh situation versus and like you know how you dealt with adversity maybe growing up and some of those great players don't really have a lot of adversity. They're just mega talents. And then it's tough to, you know, how do you see a player on your team who's going through something and you can't really relate because you've always been super good. You know, how are you going to, how are you going to coach that player to, to be better, get out of their slump? You've never experienced that probably. So um, I think it's part of it, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's something to it. That's a great point. I feel similar to you about the role players that exactly what you're saying. And I would have just phrased it on the flip side of the role players that had to deal with that adversity or not even necessarily adversity, but they just had to find other ways to make the team other ways to make an impact because they're not the stars. They're not the ones that are just going to be automatically given opportunities, put in the best chance to succeed, given multiple opportunities because their talents there. And that's what, scouts and teams and coaches can lean back on so i'm generalizing but it feels like those role players the steve kerrs the joe girardis on the yankees when he caught like some of those guys in in different sports too that had to find a place by really understanding the game having a deep appreciation for the game like being so passionate because they're not it's not just that they're good enough not that those players aren't passionate it's not just that they're good enough they'll make it on their own uh talent and so, you know, like Joan said, it probably is a mix because you have the Zinedines and the Xavi's who we'll see how Barcelona turns out. But then you got a lot of guys who played and you look up where they played and you're like, oh, yeah, part of it is because we're just younger. So we didn't watch them play, but they played in the third division in England or they played in second division in Germany like Klopp. And you didn't really see them when you were watching the, the game at the top level. And now they're the top managers. Great point. The, the 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 that the the genuine desire to play is what kept them kept them going and right. and they found a way they were uh for lack of better words they were smart enough to find a way because all of these these really successful coaches are smart they are very intelligent players which then in turn allows them to which is a whole other um technique and talent how do you how do you impart your intel your knowledge of the game onto others? Because so much of that is interpersonal skill. So much of that is, um, yeah, uh, emotional IQ. That is not something that is taught. That is something that you have to learn over time. That's something I should have added. Also, uh, emulating what you said, Ice, that like the ability to be a, a people's a player manager like Tim talked about obviously I was joking about Tim before I think my answer is actually slightly different after we chatted with him that I think that's also something as a role player you have to be good at just like in a in a company 
more traditional business. Like you have to be good at the interpersonal stuff, at working with people, working with people above you, higher up in the hierarchy, the coaches, the, the training staff, you have to be well liked by them and have a good relationship to even give yourself a shot because again, you don't have the talent. And that's something that comes out to play when you, if you're a manager. Yeah, it'd be fun to pull our, our, our footy fellas, uh, listeners and fans for who would be, you know, on today's 20 teams in the Prem, who's going to be from each team the best manager going forward? Like, and you guys know I've ripped on him before, but for Liverpool, I think Henderson could honestly be a decent manager because he's not world class. I mean, he's not world class. I mean, we think we all agree he's not like, you know, top 11 in the world. He's very good, though. He's kind of that role player. He kind of has this leadership role, um, which I think I think could actually make him a pretty decent manager. And he, you know, people respect him. I think players respect him. Um, but yeah, like like that kind of stuff. Like Chelsea, who who on Chelsea and like Man United? I was thinking, is would like Matic be solid as a manager? Is he like the guy? I don't know. I'd, it's interesting to think the 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 whole dynamic the thing that we would have to like uh you'd have to be a deeper uh you have to be even more well informed of your own teams here is what is the locker room perspective on some of these guys because Mm -hmm. i agree with your like knee jerk for liverpool is yes henderson on the surface is like a very motivational kind of rah-rah guy who also isn't the most talented, therefore kind of fits our, our mold a little bit. But each of these locker rooms has guys that, you know, you may not see on the surface who is really well respected because they get along with everybody and they're super smart and they're competitive. For example, for United wouldn't have come without, you know, just being it's, you know, such a deeper fan, I guess, quote unquote, that I am. Uh, Mata is a guy. Juan Mata mm. was the guy in their locker room who everyone really respected, really got along well with everybody, uh, took the time to learn English and become very proficient, as well as is a um, is just a really smart soccer player. So, like that's the that's the lens, the, the the deeper cut that if we were looking through all these different teams, it would be tougher to figure out who really fits that mold because you don't see that personality on the field always. I was going to throw Julian Lescott in the mix, an older City player, and I just looked up what he's doing now, and he's coaching the England U21s, but people always talked about him as a very calm and composed leader, big, big voice in the City locker room 10 years ago. Love it. It's a big difference from uh, other sports where there's positions, specific positions. You could make an argument for, for footy maybe, less less obvious though which positions has to be a leader on the field Hmm. in football the quarterback has to be a leader on the field and therefore in the locker room like if you don't have the guys behind the quarterback that's what all the the talking heads are saying you know like oh in training camp everyone's saying like this quarterback we're all behind him we've got his back he's a great guy in baseball maybe it's the catcher maybe it's the shortstop like there's designated leaders of each realm of the the play basketball is another one it's a little more fluid could be any of the any of the positions any of the players same thing with soccer you'd make the argument first for a center back for maybe a keeper i don't know i don't even know what position you'd say makes the most sense to be a, a prototype they're in the best spot literally on the field to to be a leader on the field and in the locker room i mean you you have uh you have rangers right now who are being coached by Giovanni von Bronckhorst, who is this legendary left back who captained the Dutch national team. Uh, I think he, either him or Rafa Marquez, captain Barcelona. You know, he's the guy who, by the way, whenever anyone says, you know, if someone shoots a, scores a goal or something, goes, that's an absolute firecracker. That's in reference to the 2010 World Cup where he against Uruguay just hit this absolute Wow, that was him. Top that was him. Guy. Yes. Um, he, so he's, he's coaching, uh, so I, I think agreed, like th- knee jerk is like on a field, usually in the spine, it's gotta be a center mid center back, something like in that mix, defensive mid, someone who sees everything usually is, is the drum beat and, and the heart of the team. But, um, but then you can also have these, you know, y- you can have these players like, uh, yeah, like a Giovanni von Brockhorst, the left back. It was interesting when you said a goalie, I was thinking, I, I can never imagine seeing a goalie be the, uh, be the coach. Yeah. It didn't feel right when I said it. Maybe it's cause they train separately. Hmm. Yeah. 
and they're they're a different breed altogether. Yeah, yeah, hard to relate to. Yeah, definitely, that'd be tough. But they see everything. I mean, they they really do see it all in front of them. But you have to really put the effort in. I feel like to to learn what it would feel like because they're not experiencing the middle of the field type stuff. Exactly. We've all played. We've all played soccer. We've been in locker rooms at some level and seen the dynamics. We haven't played at the professional level to see some of those leadership position dynamics, but there's so many documentaries out these days, like the city one. Did Arsenal come out yet? I think it did. Really? Yeah, we got to get wow. that up. I'm looking that up, but yes, keep going. Dang. What's the name of that Amazon series again? Uh, All or Nothing. All or Nothing. Um, Spurs, we watched the Spurs yeah. one. That was good. Is that Sunder- Sunderland? So many other good shows. Yeah, Sunderland, Leeds, where you get locker room access, and of course they, they're editing some of this, so it's not like you're a player actually in the locker room the whole time and you see the, see the off the field dynamics, you see guys, you know, texting each other after games, picking guys up, building confidence, offering advice, feedback, helping guys off, off the field, like everything that, that goes into being a great leader and gaining the respect of your teammates and translating that into, into coaching and being a great coach. But it's interesting with some of these documentaries, we can see a a little glimpse into what makes guys tick and what makes them tick organizationally as a as a unit and also confirming arsenal that, that all or nothing doesn't start until beginning of august so okay <laughs> i thought we would have heard that that shocked me when you said it because someone in one of our groups would have texted something <laughs> i remember just seeing people stirring but i think there's a trailer out which is what got people initially the first little little burst that i'd saw on the twitter sphere but no. yeah august 4th it definitely makes me um, you know reading this clock book as well appreciate managers and the time it takes to really rebuild so like you know for jones you know if you're coming into this next season you got the new manager and if you know i'm sure fans who are like all right we're coming for like first place right away out the gate this is our guy it's like i don't know if that's the expectation you want to set for yourself but the new manager the team's got to bounce back it's like klopp also seemed to make that very clear in his early years of like yeah we are going to have to, it's going to take a while, like before we start winning trophies, which I just read this little bit about how they had these big gaps. They hadn't won a trophy since like 2010. And the first one they won was in 19, 2019. It shocked me. I was like, man, they really had a dry spell. You know, Klopp comes in and he's like, yeah, we're not going to be competing for these trophies quite yet. Like we got a, got a lot of work to do. So he likes to level set, which I think is important. So it makes me think about leads and they've got a lot of building to do now. Trophy wise, yeah, they they've got a long way to go, but um, it'd be interesting. I I don't want to just rule out the uh, that American manager quite, you know, after next season per se, uh, let's say. But if you can keep chipping away up the table. That's that's progress. Yeah, Leeds is in a in a tricky predicament. I feel like we're we're transitioning into transfers, and then we can talk about footy stuff in general these days. But uh, Leeds in particular. It's exciting that they've brought in now two American players to join Jesse Marsh's uh, American Legion, I suppose, with uh, uh, Aronson and Brendan Aronson and uh, our boy Tyler Adams. Caw! That's a that's a baby. Those are the that baby. That's a bald eagles. eagle. That's a baby bald eagle. So it's a full it's a full head of hair eagle, and uh, and uh, it's gonna be exciting to see how they work. Agreed. Like almost at that level, it, you know. Are they rebuilding or are they just trying to stay afloat? You know, mm-hmm. Liverpool, when when Klopp came in, it, they're just such a institution there that it, it is a quote. Like, there's a difference between a rebuild versus a, like, all hands on deck. Like, Jesus Christ, we need to stay up. <laughs> teams that are don't have as much money as other teams and there's very obvious gaps, they can never use the word rebuild. It's never a rebuild. Like, you, you're never, like, what do you build? What do you, what's the, the spot you're rebuilding back up to? This has always been it, you know? <laughs> Although, I guess, uh, Leeds, like, in that documentary, they talked about how great they were in yeah. the 80s, set, like, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, winning FA Cups, doing that stuff. So, I guess you could argue it's a lot, it's, it's been a long-term 30-year rebuild, right. but that, that is a funny uh, language thing. So I don't know if they're necessarily rebuilding per se, but they are going to be, there's a lot of interesting narratives. We're going to have to do, maybe we do like a, we're going to do have to fantasy premierly. We have to do a little fantasy, the pod. And then we also got to do like a, maybe we just quick run through all the teams and 
in what's kind of their state of the union and what, what we're expecting. <laughs> from. But they, they definitely, they're gonna be fighting next year. It's gonna be exciting. Hopefully they keep up. Hey, we could do a little YouTube series, state of the club or state nice. of the union. Yeah. Something like that. Are you even more of a Leeds fan now that they ha- have this larger American? Well, influence? you know, you know how much I liked Bielsa. Um, just like he was such a unique coach and he had a cool background. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm still invested in them. I think they're a cool club, and now they've got a little American presence um, to to the team. I think that's that gives me more uh, in, in interest in them. But yeah, you know, the teams that had past glory and stuff, and you know, coming back and into the prem, I think it's cool to see them rise. One thing that did make me sad though, so they were talking about Bill Shankly came and joined the team in like the '60s, '67, and Liverpool was in the second division. And their arch rivals, Everton, were up in the, the Prem. And I was thinking, because Bill Shankly joined and the, the like Anfield was gross, dilapidated. He said the field was like unworthy of players to play in. And like, oh, it, was, it sounded brutal. And it's crazy to think that nowadays it's a freaking shrine. You know, it's a billion dollar stadium and all this perfect everything. And it makes me think, could a team grow like that nowadays? Is that even possible? Like is the or are the top teams sucking all the potential growth out of clubs like that, which is sad. Um, and I think now we, we're Americans, so we don't really feel it on the ground. But I, I think that's a huge reason why that Super League failed because a lot of small cities and clubs are like, we have no chance. You know, it's like I think I, I think they're feeling that uh, the 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 centralization of power and money really hurts those small clubs just quick note on bielsa i was curious what he was up to if he took another coaching job actually two quick notes one since he lost the leeds job got fired he was linked to athletic bilbao i'm not sure i haven't dug deep enough maybe there are connections to earlier on in his career or something like that but one of his flexes that i don't know if he said this or someone else but all the article headlines are how he revealed that he watched all 380 La Liga games last season after being sacked by Leeds. You know, he hit the video room and was just watching <laughs> the tape, watching the films so that he could come in knowing exactly what happened last year and act like he'd been there for a full year already. That's that's a cool flex. To just be like, yeah, hey, by the way, I'm you know I'm in the market for a job. Just so you all know, I watch every game from last season start to finish. Dang. Secondly, I, it, after that, it does seem like he has shut down talks of moving to Bilbao. So we'll see if he is coaching anywhere this season. Okay. Still prime coach. Although if you're a player, all the stories on how hard he works you, how much of a perfectionist he is, maybe you're a little bummed if he comes on. Your life's going to be much <laughs> harder for nine months of the year. Trying to think who's like the opposite coach. Who who what would be like the, the super chill, the gravest switch? I mean, I guess Ole. I guess like <laughs> you know, moving from Ole, who his team just like vibe vibe FC, and then had Bielsa <laughs> come in. I mean, that's what happened with Ragnick, I suppose. Yeah, they had a guy who came in and was like, "Oh no, we actually need to play soccer, football," and then and then everyone was like, "Oh boy." <laughs> Speaking of oh boy. Switching topics to a little bit, we and now we're just riffing. We watched Jones and I watched the MLS and MLS game last night, start of rivalry week, which we won't pretend we've known about for weeks and have had on the calendar, but it's the rivalry weekend. Cool. And we watched the Union play DC United right when we turned it on, pretty soon in the first half. They scored five in the first half and finished winning seven to zero, the Union over DC United. And that was just an oh boy moment. That was there was a literal you know that clip I see of uh, Messi when he's dribbling they're playing Bayern it's like 2014 or something he's running at Jerome Boateng and he opens up his hips and then he cuts it back and Jerome like moves with him but then can't make the shift and so he just tumbles backwards and then Messi's in on goal and just chips the goal he t- uh, chips whoever it's in goal yeah yeah yeah. Miller. There was a literal, there was a pretty similar situation last night where it was a two on one ish kind of, and one player passed it to uh, the other guy and the defender, another really big athletic kind of dude tries to turn himself and flick the ball. Instead, he just kind of stumbles and falls down and, and then the players in one on one with the goal and passes it. And that was for like number five. So it was just like that, Dang. that brutal a moment for just DC United to, to really think about if they should play it in the second half tied for the largest 
MLS all time victory margin. Hmm. Seven goals. Wow. It's a shame they couldn't make eight. Yep. That'd have been really They're probably cool. bummed. He cuts yeah. to the locker room after the game. They're devastated. <laughs> right. right. Like, you hear pin drop. We had him and we let him go. We let him slip. <laughs> Step on their throats next time. Yeah. LAFC won El Trafico, first time since 2020, beat LA Galaxy 3 to 2. And uh, Minnesota, believe it or not, won 3 to 1 over their bitter rivals, the Vancouver Whitecaps. <laughs> bitter rivals. Uh, we're actually on a come up. I think we've won three straight. So that's nine points. And we've shot up in the table to fifth, I think. So not too bad. I had to, I had to take a peek in because I've got my game coming up on July 30th against Portland. Have yet to see a dub, so I'm really hoping for a goal. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, 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 to uh, you know, to their credit, I picked some hard games. Okay, these aren't these aren't walks in the park. I picked. How many games that you go to where they don't win would it take for you to recognize it's you? That's the problem. <laughs> Twenty. <laughs> <laughs> Something in 30 or 40 games, like yeah, when you actually be are being interviewed on local news for having an all time record of, you know, 0 12 and 33, and you're on game 40, you just stop going. Yeah, they're like, please, we'll pay you not to go. At what point do coaches who really care, bringing this full circle, coaches who really care about their team's success actually get to the point where they're like, wow, we've lost, you know, a lot of these games? And I, you know, the formation, it's that there's no, there's no correlation here. The diet doesn't change anything. Home or weight doesn't change anything. What other variables are possibly? And then there's that one coach who's like in the back a little bit. It's a little darker. And he's like, I don't mean to be superstitious, but have you looked at who's been showing up to your games? And then he's like, what? And then just vanishes. And he's combing through the right. It's looking through all the, all the attendees and realizes there's one guy in the crowd who happens to be at every single one of those games. And then he gets banned for life. And suddenly everything turns around. You know that things, uh, things, uh, uh, like a short story, Omas, the people from Omas or whatever, the one where it's like this happy town, everything's perfect, but dark in some cellar somewhere is like a one person who's like locked away in there, and they aren't, they aren't like aren't fed there, it's whatever, and so it's the the whole success of the town is is dependent on this one person's misery. Wow. So maybe maybe that's what's going on with Minnesota. Just need to get icy out of the <laughs> out of the stadium. Can't be there. That's Steve. We'll be rooting for Minnesota versus Portland now that we've had this conversation. Good. Hey, those tickets may be available if you boys want to come through. We got I got two two other tickets. You guys got a bunch of tickets for the season. You guys are ticket heavy. Four games, four tickets. My man. Per game. And the MLS games don't often watch them, but randomly when I t- especially now that so many on our ESPN and we just got ESPN on our you know, Xbox, you can just throw it on there. There's usually MLS on, like, during the week, random times, because it's, in terms of soccer, it's obviously on our time zone a lot more than games in Europe, where if you're watching in the afternoon, there's nothing there. So there's, every time I watch an MLS game, it's exciting. I agree. The the level, I don't know if it's just age and stuff, but it, it definitely, across the board, I'm usually pretty entertained. Um, because Because sometimes it's like, it is crappy, but it's like a good kind of crappy. Where you've you've got it's just our some, crappy. It's our it's <laughs> our crappy. <laughs> the other tournament going on right now in in random summer soccer news, a little more serious, a little more exciting potentially, is the women's Euros. And there are sixteen teams, I believe, four groups. Big heavy hitters, you know, biggest teams from the world, Spain, uh, Germany, England, as, as people are saying, could have a shot this year. The Netherlands, um, and those are on ESPN Plus. So I do want to try and catch some of the women's Euros games. That would be exciting. For a second, uh, when you guys sent me the um, that highlight of Sophie Smith's goal, yeah, uh, from the U.S. women's national team, I I was like, oh, like. Did they actually just invite the U.S. to, <laughs> to the women's Euros yes, play? Yeah. That goal was sick. That was that nice. outside of the foot. That was that was that that was like uh, that feels like training training field. Like you're just like like effortlessly just kind of like, yeah, around. Why yeah, not? Yeah, outside of the foot. That was that was really cool. Very nice. That's good podcasting right there. Yeah, remember that visual thing that happened <laughs> where it was very cool, very nice. Yeah. There was, uh, I'm trying to remember her name. I saw a news story. Um, Putellis, 
the the woman who plays for Barcelona right before the tournament. Spain's one of the favorites, and she tore her ACL, I think, which is a bummer. Uh, it's always yeah, brutal. I saw that. Did now was she was she the Ballon d'Or winner or am I made that's someone else from the Barcelona that Barcelona squad that was really really good. I think it might have been her. We can we can we can look it up. Um, but that Barcelona squad was so good. I remember right after we talked to the women's soccer show last year, two years ago, and then watched the Champions League finals, and they just destroyed Chelsea, who everyone had as the favorites, and just dominated them the whole game. And that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, what's her? Dang, that's brutal for Spain. The best women in the world gets ACL tear. I think England has a much better shot at winning the women's Euros than they do the men's World Cup. So I hope the nation of England is is watching with bated breath this tournament this summer. It's coming home. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna quick pivot for the for the very end the uh, the little the little meat at the end. Uh, we could we could pivot to F one. We'll do take. It. So uh, for those who don't know, it's the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend, following uh, actually quite exciting Silverstone race last weekend which we saw a, a terrible crash in the first lap before the first turn. Uh, but then some, some really, I thought, fantastic racing at the end, those end laps. Uh, but we had a little sprint today. They do it different in Austria. So there was a qualifying on Friday, which then placed were your placements for the sprint. So 23 laps sprint and whoever, whatever place that was, that's what you're starting on Sunday. And lo and behold, classic, the favorite, Max, Gets the first spot. He was in pole position to start the sprint and kept it the entire way. Dude, Eli, did you you watch a little bit? Those Ferrari, I don't know what they're doing, but they were fighting really hard in the beginning, and it really gave Max, like, solidified his victory. I don't know what you do if you're a, a team manager. You know, this is a very managerial-based uh, episode today. What do you do if you're the team principal for, for, for Ferrari? You got these guys who are fighting each other and no teamwork. It's tough. F1, I'm not an expert. I only started watching more seriously last season after watching the first season of Drive to Survive three years ago and now getting excited for each of the seasons. But it does seem like there should be a lot more team teamwork, to put it bluntly, than there is in F1. And it's like not, you know... I don't know if that's just an unspoken agreement that's kind of in the, the unwritten rule book of F1 that every driver, because it's so competitive, because there's only 20 drivers, unless there's an extreme case, an extreme scenario, it's every man for himself. And like that's how you that's how everyone does it. That's just what, what happens. But it seems like there's no teamwork ever in F1. Yeah. Except I would say that you get Checo and Max actually doing more on Checo's side because Red Bull's number one guy is Max. But... There was last race at Silverstone. Checo could have gone for like a, he could have shot through to first, but he, they say that he intentionally slowed down and blocked off others behind Max so that Max could have a straighter shot and keep it, keep it riding in front. Um, so kudos to him. I think, I think he's a great teammate. I think they really lucked out with Checo. That's the only case where you get that is when there's a clear number one or they're fighting for the, I forget if it's called something different than the constructor's standings, but the individual yeah. driver who wins, you know, most points for that driver, not just the team, especially towards the end of the year, there's very obvious cases of let them through. Like yeah. we're going to do everything we can for that other driver. And, and pretty much everyone seems to be on board, but maybe Le- Leclerc isn't, you know, signs just doesn't have that in him. He wants to also be that the dog on, on a Ferrari. And so they haven't, dis- they're pretty close on points, even though Leclerc won the, two of the first three races a year or something like that. They started off so hot and he seemed like he would be the driver to challenge Max mano y mano. They, they, I think they're close on points, so it's not as obvious for Ferrari. Who do you let through? Yeah, the the, the podcast I listened to this past week after Silverstone was talking about how Ferrari just keeps mismanaging strategically Leclerc's uh, season. How he should, you know, these past five races, he has not finished on the podium, which is which is pathetic because he is super fast and the car is really good. Um, and so to to not capitalize on Max finishing eighth or something at Silverstone or ninth uh, 
in the Claire maxing out on points. It, it was really bad, they, they said, from a Ferrari standpoint, because how is Leclerc going to catch Max? If Max actually has a car that works and finishes races, he finishes first. <laughs> Usually he's he's very, very good. Um, so it, it's interesting. I think Ferrari's really uh, struggling strategically, but um, should be fun tomorrow. I think the, the racetrack is actually really cool, the Austrian one. It's it's not super long, which I like, just over a minute to, to finish. And there are a lot of DRS uh, straights, so it's it's really fun to to get that that high speed over over uh, what's it called uh, just high speed passing overtake. There we go. Overtake. Yeah, a lot of battles. Do you think the Mercedes come up is real? The fact that they started off so poorly and now they're finishing between fourth and eighth, Russell and and Hamilton is that for real? Yeah, I think they're improving. For them to win a race is going to take a lot. It's going to take a bit more. Um, I don't know if this course suits the car extremely well, um, but it, you know, they're on the right path. But you say that, and so every other team is making improvements. So it's not, it's not a walk in the park. But Hamilton's Hamilton, and he'll, he'll give you a run for your money. F1 is the only sport where <laughs> once the season starts, and you realize your car is not as good as the other cars that everyone's been working on over the summer. It's like, all right, every race of the season, we're at a disadvantage. Like we're going to do the best we can, but we're just, we have like such a small chance of winning an, even an individual race, unless something goes wrong for others, a crash, someone, you know, gets, has a penalty in a sense of the back of the grid for the whole season. Like that's it. You, you get to the, maybe not even the first race. I don't know. Maybe it's just the, the first practices of the year when everyone gets to show off their cars and you immediately know your car is not as good as other cars. Like that's got to suck as a driver. Oh yeah. It'd be brutal, but all right, Jones, we're done. We're done talking F1. There <laughs> I've, I have no, I, I'm happy to sit here in the background and but I, you should, I can... uh, did you tune in this morning? Uh, no, I was, I, I was passed out. It was a oh, late nice. night. Nice. So. Nice. Look at you late night. You know, oh, it's it a late is. night barber. It's the chest shave. You have the late night barber. Exactly. exactly. It's the only time that they allow me in because <laughs> otherwise it scares the children. Well, it's the only time the lights are on in the alley. It's the only time that the street lights <laughs> go on. So it's like best. That's like one shot. You got 30 minutes in between 1130 when they turn on and 12 when they get shut off. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, gents. Good. Uh, good chatting today. And if you're listening, this has been such an intimate conversation for us. We're, we forgot that you're still here with us if you made it 50 minutes or whatever. So thanks for listening and tune in. Maybe we'll do some uh, some World Cup, some EPL stuff coming up. Who knows? Who the heck knows? We'll cross the bridge when we get there. Sure will. All right. I love you. Love you. Love you. Hi, my name is Maxwell. Oh, and these are my two friends. <laughs> they just are around. <laughs> thing one and thing two. They're just hanging out. Don't mind them. <laughs>